Uh, I just heard from his team right now. He's just in a House uh, Judiciary Committee. He said he'll uh, come uh, right afterwards. Um, so I will just begin the space. Uh, and I want to welcome everyone to our first ever space, uh, kind of combining politics and finance with House Representative Rokahana and hopefully uh, Representative Gates as well. Uh, I'm Unusual Wales, and we're super happy to discuss numerous proposals here that limit congressional stock trading in the U.S. Nicholas will be conducting the discussion today, so let's begin. Hey, everybody. As always, we're excited to have this first Representative Kana and later on Representative Gates. We also have some journalists, Brian from Business Insider and Ryan Grimm from The Hill, and we have Noah, the director of Crew. So we do have a set of questions to start off, and I kind of hope for a fluid conversation here. If those of you in the audience have questions related to the topic, feel free to DM me or Unusual Whales here on Twitter so we can ask them. And speakers, if you want to pin something at the top to let us know you're working on something, please feel free to do so. The only request I have during the duration of the panel today and the discussion is if other speakers are talking, please leave mics muted just to avoid any overlap or echo. Now, with that said, let's jump right into the intros here. So we'll start off with Congressman Ro Khanna, a Democratic California representative, a lawyer, a lawyer from and a politician he previously pushed for an internet bill of rights. He has recently introduced a reform plan that bans stock trading for Congress and spouses, bans Congress from lobbying after being a part of it, introduces 12-year ban lobbyists and PAC donations. Welcome, Representative Khanna. Thank you. Uh, thank you to you and Unusual Wales for doing this. It's great to have uh, crew on and uh, uh, Ron Graham and other journalists, Business Insider, have been covering this. You know, I think we have a crisis of confidence in our political institutions and we need uh, bold reform. Most Americans think that the institutions aren't working for them, that they have been corrupted, uh, with big money influence. At the heart of that is the work you all have been doing and many people to ban stock trading for members and uh, their extended family. Uh, but also in my view that that's just one of the aspects. We need to ban members from becoming lobbyists. You shouldn't be able to sit on the Armed Services Committee and then go work for Raytheon or Lockheed. We need to ban all PAC and lobbyist money contributions to members of Congress uh, and senators. We've got to uh, make sure that we have some term limits so you don't have people there 20, 30 years. I think that creates an incentive for uh, uh, corruption. Uh, and we need to have some term limits on Supreme Court justices. So I've pushed for these reforms. People may agree or disagree with uh, a particular one, but what I do think there is bipartisan consensus of in this country is the status quo is not working, and we've got to have uh, restore trust in our political system. Perfect. Thank you. Congressman Roe Khanna, glad to have you here. And we'll have plenty of questions pertaining to everything you just said, I can assure you. For now, we're going to run through the speakers that we've got. We have Brian Metzger, a senior politics reporter with Insider. After the Unusual Whales reporting, he's written extensively on politician trading and efforts to pass bans. He's interviewed numerous politicians like Representative Spanberger, who've put forward her own bill. And he's one of the first to hear of new bills and momentum on Congress. Happy to have you, Brian. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks so much for having me today. Looking forward to chatting about this topic. It's an exciting one. I'm excited, too. And it's really big that, that we're able to get a couple of viewpoints on this today. Next, we have Ryan Grimm, the D.C. Bureau Chief at The Intercept and a longtime friend of Unusual Whales here on Twitter. He was part of the team that won a Pulitzer and has been the source of constant breaking reporting and is a key at deconstructing any issue into its parts. He has a third book coming out soon as well. Thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Next we have Noah Bookbinder is the Citizen for Ethics Crew president since March of 2015. He was the director of the Office of Legislative and Public Affairs at the United States Sentencing Commission and worked as a trial attorney for the United States Department of Justice's Public Integrity Section. He's been pivotal in pivoting crew to legal actions and policy reform, particularly on political trading. Welcome, Noah. 
Great to be here. And thanks for, for shining a light on this really, really important issue. And thanks for being here to give your feedback and expertise, Noah. So just to kind of get us into the flow of things here, let's kind of set the stage a little bit. We're looking at things. It's early 2020. COVID has happened. Numerous politicians such as Senator Dianne Feinstein, Senator Jim Inhofe, Richard Burr, and Senator Kelly Loeffler, amongst around 20 others, sold millions in stocks before and after private COVID briefings, which was also before that large stock market crash in March. Those were all cleared in May by the Department of Justice. Now, before and after this news, Unusual Wales was reporting on politician trading kind of quietly, but then numerous of our reports went viral, getting picked up by numerous organizations like Business Insider and The Intercept, who began to do their own reporting. Since then, it's estimated that 70% of the United States public prefers that politicians do not trade. So I want to start us off with a question here for you, Representative Conant. What is different with the previous years of getting Congress banned and why such a big push now? Well, every year that goes by, I think there's less and less trust in Congress. I agree with you that the, the, the COVID uh, trading really made this uh, a public issue in, in a very stark way. But I don't think you're going to get legislative progress on this until you have uh, members of Congress and senators uh, running on it in the 2024 election and until you have both of the presidential candidates running on it. Uh, the good news is many of the newer members who have come in on both parties uh, have run on this platform. And once you run on it, regardless of anything else, you often are obligated uh, to work on it. And the, while there are a number of us on the trust act that Spanberger led and on uh, the bill that AOC and Matt Gates led, uh, you know, I think it's 60, 70 co-sponsors. It's not enough until you actually have leadership say, we want to push it on the floor, until you have the president say, I'm going to talk about this in the State of the Union. And the way I think you get there is to get more people making this an issue in the 2024 election. So uh, I, I'm hopeful we can get something ne next year. I'm doubtful that you're actually going to get it uh, onto the floor uh, until it becomes a clear issue that the parties, the president, and more candidates are running on. And I, I mean, I hope so. I would really like to see this reform go through. Now, Brian and Ryan, I want to get you in here as well as we open up. There have been other bills introduced, such as Senator Hawley's the Pelosi Act or Spanberger's bill. Do you believe that this time it's different, given your previous reporting on it? How have other members in Congress reacted to this platform of stock trading or PAC donations? I would like to start with Brian here, and then we'll kick it over to Ryan as well. Yeah, so certainly the topic of stock trading has been a massive topic in Congress over the last couple of years, certainly since I've been up here. You know, for me, I sort of see COVID obviously played a huge role in setting the stage for this. Um, you know, I don't want to necessarily take credit for this or anything, but I had the chance to ask Speaker Pelosi about this topic in December of 2021, and she initially reacted sort of uh, dismissively. She said that lawmakers should not be banned from trading stocks. You know, we are a free market economy. Lawmakers should be able to participate in that. And I think that galvanized a lot of people seeing, you know, sort of the highest ranking Democratic official in the House brush off this issue when so many people saw it as an issue that needed to be dealt with and addressed. And so, you know, there's been a lot of progress legislatively in the last couple of years. As, as Congressman Khanna mentioned, there's a lot of folks who have run on this issue. There's a lot of folks that have lost elections, um, not necessarily entirely because of this issue, but that was part of the election, part of the issue. Um, and there are also folks who have, you know, sort of quietly um, stopped trading or have taken steps to uh, behave more ethically when it comes to their stock trades as well. You know, one key example um, and someone who I recently spoke with was uh, Republican Congressman Blake Moore of Utah. Um, Insider did an entire project on this uh, back in December of 2021. It was called Conflicted Congress. And he was one of 13 people that we gave essentially like a blinking red uh, danger rating to because he had made, I think, something like 76 um, late disclosures when it came to his stock trades. And, you know, this was something that was raised in his reelection. He, he managed to win reelection. But since then, he has set up a blind trust. And he told me recently that he set up the blind trust entirely because of this issue, because 
you know, he doesn't want to deal with the media scrutiny around his stock trades. And I think that that's something we see more broadly with, again, candidates running on this. We had Congressman Dan Goldman, who had considerable assets before he was in Congress. He recently set up a blind trust as well. And so while I agree that uh, legislative progress on this is going to be rather tough, and, and I can get into the dynamics on that, but I'll, I'll save it for now, um, it's, it's certainly true that writ large, uh, stock trading in Congress has been, I guess you could say, stigmatized to an extent. And we're seeing uh, more and more examples of folks um, trading less, setting up blind trusts, taking steps to ensure uh, that you know, they aren't at least being perceived as engaging in insider trading. Thank you, Brian. Now, Ryan, what are you seeing in Congress here and, and with the upcoming election? Uh, do you think this time it actually is different? Uh, I mean, it does feel like it's moving in that direction. But like Brian said, there are still some obstacles in front of it. And I'd, I'd be curious for Congressman Connor's take on this. But, I, you know, I've heard from some members of Congress that their understanding is that there's kind of an unspoken uh, or at least it hasn't been spoken to them, but they, they feel like that there's a deal out there basically between House leadership and a, and a lot of rank and file members that said, OK, politically speaking, we can't we can't do raises anymore. Like we can't even do cost of living raises uh, and the cost of rent uh, is going through the roof in Washington, D.C. And so for a, a member of Congress who's living in two different places and, you know, spending two or three thousand dollars a month on rent in D.C., plus you know, supporting the family, you know, back at home, it's getting more difficult. And the unspoken deal being, well, you, you can, you know, you, you can trade a little bit on the side. And so there, I think there is, there is in every country, like a link between the amount that the public pays for public servants and the amount of corruption you get, like the public gets what it pays for. Florida, for instance, pays its state lawmakers something like $30,000 a year and allows them then to take extra income and the extra income that they take is from, you know, in corporate interests that have, you know, things before the legislature. It's like just wildly, hilariously corrupt and like in just a in your face kind of way and doing it just to kind of nickel and dime on the salary. But some of that is by design, like the corporate interests like that they can come in and, uh, you know, supplement the salaries of the, of those lawmakers. But I think the other element is, is staff and, and particularly chiefs of staff. Chiefs of staff are extremely powerful when it comes to uh, move, making things move in Congress, and they too are capped. And in some of these uh, bills, they would be barred from trading as well. And and so they have every interest in kind of slow walking this. So uh, Congressman Khan is a lot you know closer to the ground on all this. So he might. Uh, I'm curious for his take on on that. As am I. Thank you, Ryan and Brian. Now, Representative Kana, I do want to touch a little bit on on that stigma of raises that was mentioned in financial conflicts in Congress. And I'd also love to hear your own thoughts about what Brian and Ryan have said so far and kind of why you feel personally why leadership or the president himself haven't fully taken this up yet. Well, I think you had uh, last Congress had come very close. I thought we were going to have a vote. Uh, you had uh, because of uh, your advocacy, Brian's, Ryan's uh, crew, uh, many people pushing that uh, we needed to have uh, a vote on it. And then at the end, it got pulled uh, because there were a number of rank and file members from both parties uh, who did not want to have a vote on it. And uh, they went to Steny Hoyer, and Steny Hoyer uh, basically said, look, if, he, if it comes to the, the floor, I'll vote no. And he was speaking not just for himself, but for uh, a, a group of both uh, of Democrats, but there were Republicans as well who had that. And then Kevin McCarthy campaigned saying he was going to put it for a vote on the floor, but he hasn't now done it. And that's probably because there are 20, 30 members who are uh, at least on his side, who are opposed if not more. So I do think it's going to require a higher elevation in the uh, political process. It's yes, it's 70% are opposed to uh, stock trading, but uh, it's it's not something yet that has come in the State of the Union. It's not something that is a top uh, agenda item, and so. I, 
while we build more co-sponsors uh, on this, uh, the, uh, there needs to be uh, also the political leadership uh, that supports it, which will happen as more and more members run on it and if it can become part of the party platform, if it can become part of the presidential platform. I mean, you know, even if Donald Trump is giving lip service to a, a, a ban on stock trading, which I think I've heard him talk about, uh, if uh, uh, Joe Biden uh, also says that he would push for that in 2024 if he wins, uh, and include, in my view, include other reform agenda. I mean, I, like I said, I support the ban on stock trading. I think it's one part of the challenge. I, all, I think a much, a huge part of the challenge of corruption is the influence of big money, the influence of lobbyists, the influence of campaign finance, and so I think we need a comprehensive uh, agenda. The last point I'd make on it is just that the perfect can't be the enemy of the, of the good. There are genuine uh, complex issues of uh, what qualifies as trust. The OGE, the Office of Government Ethics, has uh, requirements on that. And I think we should just do something, is start somewhere, uh, and then we can continue to fix it and amend it. But uh, it, 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 what's the most important to me is to actually take action. We haven't had something since the Disclose Act in uh, 2012, which, by the way, in the last point, I don't want to go on too long, has made a difference. Because if it weren't for the Disclose Act, no one would be talking about this, because none of the trades and things would be disclosed. So obviously, that did make a difference. And now we have to take the next step. I think that's a really good way to put it, Ro. Thank you. So, Noah, I want to get you in on this as well here. In a letter to Congress, specifically to Pelosi, titled Crew to Pelosi and Congressional Stock Trading, you cite the existing problem of failure to report stock transactions within the required 45-day window and mention a number of bills Pelosi should explicitly support, among them the Trust in Congress Act, the Humble Act, and others. In your opinion, Noah, which bill has the highest likelihood of being passed? And as a follow-up to that, do you think these measures go far enough? Or is an outright complete ban on stock trading the only acceptable course of action? And I'd also love to get your opinions on blind trusts and the problem they have as well, Noah. Uh, sure. Well, I, I think that at, at this point... Um, I don't know that we know enough to say which particular bill is going to be the one um, uh, to 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 get across the, the line. I think we have a number of bills uh, that have uh, significant support. We have some bills that have bipartisan support. You know, I, I, I suspect that uh, Congressman uh, Gates and Congressman Khanna probably don't agree on on a whole lot of things, but they do uh, agree on, on this issue. And, and, you know, that's that's really refreshing to see. Um, but uh, I, I, I think that um, what is important, as Congressman Khanna said, is, you know, we need to see something pass. Um, but I do think that uh, what passes needs to um, needs to do a few really central things. Um, one of those is it has to be, it should be a ban on stock uh, ownership and trading. Um, it, uh, in, in, in terms of that, that uh, uh, you know, the idea of, of members just kind of keeping what they've got um, is still not good enough. You know, that, that, that addresses one of the problems that addresses the problem of members um, using confidential information or, or um, uh, non-public information that they get as as members of Congress and then going and uh, making trades based on that. But it doesn't address uh, the other problem, which is that, you know, you don't want members of Congress making decisions on how to vote on legislation and how to do their jobs based on what stock they own. They should be doing it based on what's in the interest of the American people. So that's one important part. Another important part is that it has to uh, apply to spouses and dependent children so that you can't have a member of Congress saying, like, I, I got rid of all my stock, but then, um, you know, turning to a spouse or or, um, or a kid and saying, here's what you should buy. Um, and then the third part is it's got to be enforceable. Uh, there, there has to be, um, you know, some, uh, you know, meaningful mechanism for, um, for actually holding uh, members of Congress to this. So, you know, we, I think we need all of those things. Um, as far as a blind trust goes, um, it sort of comes back to that issue of ownership, um, you know, that, that a blind trust which um, requires 
uh, you know, member to put stock in a blind trust and then that trustee to, in some period of time, sell that stock um, and then do whatever, maybe buy more stock, maybe, maybe do something different with the money. Um, if that happens, then the member of Congress doesn't know what stock they own. And so they're not going to be, um, they're, they're not going to have that conflict, uh, you know, about potentially having their decisions made based on what stock they own. Um, if that happens, then I think a blind trust is, is really meaningful and helpful. Thank you, Ryan. So just to kind of move along here, a Christian Cooper of Subversive ETFs asked, I have noticed a stark divide between the holdings of Republicans versus the holdings of Democrats. I'm curious about how both Gates and Kana view the psychology of investor choice. Members seem to have access to the same information, but they express the views around the world very differently with Republican, very energy focused and Democrats, very tech focused. Uh, Ro, could you maybe comment on that for our listener, Christian Cooper here? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, obviously, the the, the energy industry is more uh, supportive of Republicans and the technology industry is probably more supportive of Democrats. And maybe that reflects the financial choices. And, you know, things are complex. I mean, as is widely known and I've been very transparent about, you know, my wife uh, had uh, inheritance before uh, I uh, was in Congress. Her, she's the daughter of a Indian immigrant who built a very successful Transtar company, and uh, she has uh, significant resources because of that. And so in our situation, she had a diversified trust where neither I nor she uh, trade uh, in the trust, and the trust is uh, basically as wide as an uh, S&P 500. And uh, under the Office of Government Ethics Rules, that's one of the ways to in- eliminate conflicts with diversified trusts is when John Kerry was Secretary of State, how he did things. But the question is, in my view, not, uh, and whatever the rules are, we should comply. And if the rules are more strict, we should have more strict compliance. I think my view, if it, it could be a dissenting view, is I don't think most members of Congress are actually uh, engaged in corruption, but that's not the point. The point is it's a perception issue, and it is an issue that's further eroding trust, and we ought to pass something uh, and then have everyone comply with it. And the current situation where you actually have members or their spouses sitting there trading on stocks that uh, are coming before the committee, even if it's innocuous, is eroding the public trust and should not be allowed. And it's not allowed in the executive branch. I think that's a really good point, Ro. And, and I would also just follow up to say that keyword comply there, right? Because I, I mean, we're seeing just tons of issues, especially like we mentioned earlier, that 45 day reporting window just not being adhered to at all. Uh, so kind of a follow up here from what Noah was saying regarding the blind trust. Ryan, I'd love to get your opinions regarding blind trust. Do you think they go far enough or should they you know, be fully not allowed as Noah was suggesting? Do you think perception wouldn't matter regarding blind trusts or spouses trading, given that members could get donation or PAC contributions instead? Well, the most ridiculous uh, blind trust was the one that uh, Joe Manchin had where he has he owned a, a coal company uh, and then kind of had his son be the president of it and then put the coal company in a blind trust. But it's like, OK, well, you still know that you own a coal brokerage company. <laughs> you can you can say it's in a blind trust, but you but you know you you know you have it. So if you know what's in the blind trust, then that gets to the point that Noah was making, which is that yes, we don't want people trading on inside information, but almost more importantly, you don't want people taking into account what their holdings are when they're deciding whether or not to vote on something. They should be voting on it based on you know, what their principles are and what their constituents want them to do, not not how it might affect them. So if, if something is truly blind, that's that's one thing. But in a lot of cases, it's it's not. Uh, I, I don't see why there can't be some sort of just kind of public uh, financial advisor for members of Congress that, you know, when you if, if you have a 401k, your company gives you like, you know, three or four different options that you can, you know, you know, put your money into. And I could I don't see why they don't just say, all right, look, you're in Congress, your, your holdings have to go into the, these funds. And here, here you have four choices with some are more aggressive than others and open them up to the public. So it's not elitist. Like if the public wants to throw into one of those, then, then go ahead. Um, but otherwise 
you know, you're a public servant, you're not there to get rich. So you're going to have to just divest and, and put your holdings into this, into, you know, these vehicles that are very transparent. Yeah. And one thing that I would add on blind trust as well is that, you know, there, there are some bills that try to tackle this issue um, that Ryan was getting at where it's like, yeah, you have a blind trust, but you know exactly what's in it, at least initially. Um, Senator Jeff Merkley, a Democratic senator from Oregon, he's led um, the bill in the Senate that I believe has the most support as of now. I think it has something like 20 co-sponsors, about a fifth of the Senate. Um, and that bill would require the mandatory sale of the initial um, assets that are placed into the blind trust. And so, you know, that's that's at least one way that uh, lawmakers who are working on legislation to address this issue um, are thinking about that. And some of the other bills might include it as well. But I know that Merkley's is, is one that definitely does. So kind of a, a follow up there. And, and Brian or Ryan, please feel free to speak to this as you see able to. Uh, is Congress doing what Manchin was doing with blind trust, making them fully transparent, but still allowing for conflicts? I mean, well, there aren't any rules right now about um, ownership of anything. So it's not as if there's there are conflict of interest laws that he would be running afoul of. It's it's just what you can get away with in front of voters. Uh, and, and, you know, Manchin, I guess, felt felt confident that that was sufficient for him, although, it, you know, it did become a political issue for him as he continued to oppose Build Back Better. He, he increasingly started to get questioned about his own direct interests in in a coal company. Yeah, and I, I would add that there's like, a, there's like a number of members of Congress that have blind trust already. And I guess I would have to profess ignorance on like the details of each particular one. Um, but I think there is some variance um, there in terms of like how truly blind they are and and what that process is. I mean, I will say just generally, like folks talk about how expensive it is to sign uh, set up a blind trust. It's not like a, a super easy thing to do. And so I think a lot of folks um, would prefer both when they're writing this legislation and if you were just to sort of ask them, they might prefer just to divest entirely rather than having to maintain this sort of unwieldy, expensive thing that might just raise questions in voters' minds anyway. I, I do think one point this is where, uh, again, and I you know, agree that the Trust Act and other things may be the ideal legislation, but one of the challenges has been that the details of some of this stuff can get so complex and it actually gives an excuse for inaction. And so people say, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to require divestment or not? Are we going to allow blind trust or diversified trust, et cetera? And then it just nothing happens. And my view is we should probably push for the ideal, but why not at least get some legislation that can pass uh, and then maybe you can have some of the administrative points be worked out, but at least stop the day trading of members and spouses and anyone that, you know, you can easily pass that law. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go further. You, you know, the Trust Act is great. But what I've seen in these committee hearings is that the complexity, which actually exists, is barring action uh, from going forward. So, Ro, I do want to touch a little bit more on trust with, their, with you there as well. And so I know, Representative Kana, you have spoken about this before, but it is further important to note that your wife's trust made you the most prolific disclosure in 2022. Most of those disclosures reveal a very large and diverse family stock portfolio with all trades registered under your wife or children, both of whom are under the ages of six, given your father-in-law's success. Now, you've said these trusts existed before you were married, Representative Kana, but why was there so much trading in 2022 specifically? And as a tie-on to that... As Getz's proposal, excuse me, Getz's proposal has suggested, do you think spouses should also be included? I do. I support Gates's proposal, and uh, you know, my sense is that there's probably in the trust wide uh, trading in 22, 21, 20 every year because it's a fairly large trust that has been set up, and it's very diversified. And I think it's actually good to be diversified. And my sense from when we had lawyers look at it, the trust that existed before I got into Congress, but that it complied with what the OGE rules are for a diversified trust. That said, if, you know, there are other rules that come in other than the fact that my wife and I don't trade, if there was, if it was some other trust that should be set up, we would do it. We've complied uh, for seven years. I haven't, I don't want to jinx myself, but I've been on time every single month on every disclosure and I've been as 
transparent as possible and have supported the bills and it would support whatever the bill is that's the strictest strictest one but you know i uh, i've tried to to navigate it uh, in this context uh, uh, the best i can and with transparency thank you rose so now i want to pivot the topic here to noah how can lobbying be fixed in the political process an example is house republican kevin hearn who also sat on the Committee of Ways and Means, he had bought and sold FS Investments, ticker FSK, stocks. The company lobbied Congress on taxation and internal revenue code. Before the lobbying, Representative Hearn was up 33.2% at the time of selling. These are just you know, one of many examples. So Noah, what can be done here in terms of, of lobbying versus investment in those lobbying companies' portfolios? Well, I mean, I think, you know, first of all, some of that goes away if you ban stock ownership and ban stock trading, then then, then you're, you don't have to worry about the, the sort of interaction between um, uh, b- between lobbying and, um, and, you know, and what what kind of stock members are owning and members are trading. Um, so I'd start there. Um, but, you know, beyond that, um uh, as as Congressman Kana was saying, you know, we do need a broader set of um, uh, of reforms. You know, we should be um, uh, we, we should have um, much more uh, concrete and enforceable kind of revolving door bans as to to um, you know people moving back and forth between uh, Congress or the executive branch and. Um, Industries and and uh, uh, and uh, lobbying. Uh, they, there is, you know, there are some uh, restrictions on that, but they are uh, pretty loose. There are a lot of ways around them. So, you know, the, the, uh, tightening that up is going to be important. Um, you know, tightening up lobbying disclosure is important. Um, and I also think that um, uh, as as uh, I think both Congressman Kana and as I think Ryan were getting at. Uh, some other ways of, of really trying to get this under control include, um, you know, both increasing pay for for uh, members and staff so that, uh, you know, we are, uh, they're getting adequately compensated for the important work they're doing, and they're not trying to go out there and find other ways to make money, um, but also uh, taking real steps to uh, reduce all the money that goes into campaigns, uh, because that is, you know, in, in many ways, even more than, than lobbying or, or very much sort of um, arm and glove with, with lobbying. Um, you know, that's an important part of how um, members of Congress are influenced is that, that uh, you have uh, corporations um, uh, with political action committees and, and uh, executives giving money to campaigns, but you also have, these unaccountable dark money groups, which provide uh, an avenue for uh, companies to give companies and, and wealthy individuals to give a whole lot more money, often without any real disclosure, and then have uh, an opportunity to influence the people that they're they're giving that money to. Um, so you know, it's, it's got to be sort of a comprehensive package uh, to, um, uh, to 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 reduce. Uh, the ways that money can influence the decisions being made. Um, uh, putting a real halt to stock trading is is just a piece of it, although it's a very important piece and it's an easier piece than a lot of those other ones. And given that uphill battle that it seemed to be to ban congressional trading, it it's kind of harrowing to think that it might be one of the easier first steps. I mean, I I, I think that that um, you know I've been working in on uh, corruption issues for. Uh, 20 plus years now, and there are a lot of hard issues. I actually don't think this is is really one of them. Um, I think that the the difficult. I mean, Congressman Kana is right that there that some of the details are tricky. Uh, although I think there are there are good solutions there. Um, but uh, the the obstacles are really political obstacles. Is that that a lot of members don't want um, to be restricted in in um, what they do with their money. Um, but uh, you know, as as a number of people have, have pointed out. Um, doing something about congressional stock trading is popular among Democrats, is popular among Republicans. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's pretty straightforward on the merits. I think you, you, um, that, that it's really hard to make a principled argument that we should have continued stock trading. Um, and that's part of why I do think actually that 
Uh, it may take a little while, but I think that that we're going to get there and legislation is going to pass. Um, you know, I, I, something like campaign finance, unfortunately, we've been moving in the wrong direction. It's not even that fixing the problem is hard. It's that the law has been getting weaker and weaker. Uh, so, you know, let's fix this one, which we can. But there are, uh, you know, and I hope we can in the next few years. Um, but a lot of these other issues are, are unfortunately uh, pretty, pretty intransigent. And I think we're, there's going to need to be real public pressure. Um, and, you know, in a real push to, to make, you know, larger scale ethics reform and democracy reform a, a priority. Well, thank you. No, I think it's a lot of really good points to make. So continuing down this topic of lobbying, Ryan, you mentioned lobbying a bit and how Congress itself still benefits from lobbying regardless of conflicts. Two years ago, Unusual Whales released the first lobbying report showing that lobbying companies in fact, outperformed non-lobbying companies, both on both in the average, and they were also more likely to be in congressional portfolios. So, Ryan, what can be done here? I mean, you could ban uh, lo- lobbyists from trading stocks, right? Why not? Um, you know, if 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 you can make them register. Uh, then it's, it doesn't seem like a stretch to say, you know what, you also can't, um, you, know, you also can't lobby. A lot of that, that's where, and, and Congress kind of knows about this, this is where a lot of the uh, insider trading originates, is that you'll get lobbyists will bring in executives from a company, those executives or the lobby, or through the executive, or through the lobbyists, the executives will just drop little hints about things that are coming. You know how their how their drug trial is doing, you know what how this merger is going, what, you know what their strategic vision is for the next couple of weeks, uh, and and that information just kind of leaks out during these lobbying meetings. Um, I think you know I guess you if you could ban it, you could prosecute some of that, and that would probably scare people. Uh, but but maybe you could just actually just straight up say, look, if you're a registered lobbyist, you also have to put your um, put your you know, your, your holdings into this blind or this diversified or, you know, whatever trust. Thank you, Ryan. Christian, I see your hand there. Hey, this is, uh, this is Christian. I trade the, um, congressional portfolios, Nancy and Cruz. And I, I, so I spend a lot of time in this space. I want to talk a little bit about the, the allocations between Democrats and Republicans and how it intersects with lobbying. If you look at the holdings of conservatives in Cruz, it's vascular disease, it's gambling, it's energy. It's a very different worldview than if you look at what um, uh, Democrats hold. And I'm wondering if that's a function of worldview or lobbying in general. Anyone on the panel, please feel free to give your input on that. My quick take would be that, I mean, some of it is just baked in. Like you just believe that if you're a Republican, you believe energy and, you know, that fossil fuel stocks are great. Um, if you're a Democrat, you don't. And you think that you know clean tech and tech is is better. But I think you make an interesting point that Republicans are going to be much more likely to have lots of lobbying meetings with energy companies and ex- energy company executives, and Democrats are more likely to be taking uh, meetings with biotech executives and other tech executives and those sorts of things. So I think it's probably a little both but i think you're putting your finger on a a disturbing reason that you you might have for why there's that divergence i mean i i I would just say i I agree with what um uh, what ryan said there Uh, but also you know really this this goes to the heart of the problem right that if you have members of congress buying and selling and owning stock in ways that correspond to their um to their voting um, you know, I, maybe they could argue that that means that they're uh, not being influenced because they already had these ideas. Um, but, you know, when when there becomes this sort of convergence of um, their the, 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 the positions that they're taking as members and their financial interests, um, then you the American people can't really have faith that they're only making decisions um, based on what's in the interest of the American people, based on their principles. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we should, 
uh, pass one of these bills, pass the, the, the Ethics Act or the, the Bipartisan Restored Faith in Government Act, some of these, these you know, really important bills, and then we don't have to be looking at, you know, why do some members trade different kind of stocks than other members, um, which, which seems to kind of go to the heart of the problem. Yeah, and, and jumping in there, I would say that, like, the issue kind of cuts the other way as well. I mean, something that Insider did when we put our conflicted Congress uh, uh, project together, and I, I, would con- I would encourage everyone here, if you haven't taken a look at it, just Google conflicted Congress Insider, and then when you get to that page, um, go down to the Stories tab, and, and you can see all the stuff that we've written on this. I mean, we've identified members of Congress who are pushing to restrict cigarettes and vapes, but also invest in tobacco giants. Like, we've identified members of Congress who blast Facebook, but still invest in it. We've identified members of Congress who support environmental initiatives, but still invest in fossil fuel companies. And so, you know, that's that's sort of the other way it cuts as well. And you know, I think echoing Noah's point, this is another reason why banning the practice outright would restore some modicum of faith in government and frankly eliminate a headache for those members who then have to answer for why their stock portfolios conflict with their espoused positions on issues. Thank you all. Perfect line of reasoning from all of you. And I mean, I'm just I'm learning a lot of good insight from this from you guys, so I can't thank you enough. I want to pivot to you again here, Representative Kana. You spoke greatly about PACs and lobbying. Can you inform the audience today on some reforms you hope to pass to solve these issues, Representative Kana? Well, first, I do hope we actually get a bill passed to, to ban stock trading. I mean, one point that is a total a red herring is that, oh, somehow people aren't going to want to go and serve. I mean, give me a break. I mean, they passed the Disclose Act. Everyone uh, afterward complied. And I don't see less people rushing to run for political office. And I don't I don't see people giving these seats up. I mean, the uh, uh, Economist had an article saying that the turnover rate in the United States Congress for incumbents is less than the turnover rate in European monarchies. So, you know, these are highly desirable jobs. People are still going to want them. You're still helping lead the world's greatest uh, uh, superpower. And uh, if that means that uh, we ban stock trading, it, 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 people are still going to be willing to serve. And if they're not, then someone else can can step up. But, you know, I do think... I forget who said this on the panel, that this is the easy thing to do, actually. I mean, it's uh, going to be much harder to get rid of super PAC money and lobbyist money and all of the other distortive impacts that uh, are, are having an impact on the Congress. I'll just tell you, you know, sitting on the Armed Services Committee, and I'm one of the lone votes against uh, the increased defense budget. Now, there's some people who vote for the increased defense budget because of principle. I don't want to say that everyone who votes for it is somehow uh, influenced or, or corrupt. But you have a situation where the biggest lobbyists on that committee are people who served on that committee. I mean, how is that allowed? How can you be the former ranking member or chair of the committee and then get to lobby and work for Raytheon or, uh, or Northrop Grumman? And then look at the contributions of uh, uh, people on the committee and where they're getting their funding from. And you'll notice that people on those committees tend to get a lot of funding from the Armed Services Committee. It used to be so sad in Congress that people wanted to get on the Financial Services Committee, not to regulate the financial services industry, but because that those committees were seen as big fundraising uh, uh, committees, that you could get on that committee and then suddenly you get the bank money and the money from these uh, uh, financial interests. So. I do think that, you know, another simpler reform to getting the money out is to put restrictions. I would have a lifetime ban on members or staff, but at least a 10-year ban uh, in, in, in the lobbying if you're serving on, uh, on these committees. And I would try to have some ban on uh, the contributions that you can take if you're serving on these committees from uh, relevant industries. But to me, that is a, a huge portion of the of the distortion in Congress is, is the, the lobbying and, uh, and the funding. Thank you, Representative. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, so just to continue speaking of lobbying a bit here, I want to just kind of touch on the rest of the panelists today. Do you have any comments on what's been said so far before I move on to the next question? I just wanted to take a moment to um, pick up one point that uh, 
uh, Representative Khanna made, which I think is a really important one, is that um, you know this idea that somehow uh, people aren't going to uh, want to serve or want to run, or that you know they're being asked to you know uh, sign a vow of poverty or something like that, is 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 just not right. Um, that um, most Americans. Uh, are not trading, buying and selling individual stocks. Most Americans have, to the extent that they're lucky enough to have savings, uh, they have that money in uh, commonly traded funds. You know, a lot of people have retirement accounts with uh, publicly available funds. Um, and, you know, any member could do that. Those funds have done very, very well in in the last couple of years. Um and, uh, you know, th there's also the uh, under most of these pieces of legislation, there's the ability to, to use a blind trust, as, as some have pointed out, um, you know, that can be a little more difficult, a little more expensive. But even if you don't do that, you're, you're just in the same place that 80% of Americans are. And, you know, you'll do fine. And so I, th I think that's a really important point to make. And I would also add that if passing this law serves as a screen, and some people decide not to serve, that's a feature of the law, not a bug. Like if, if somebody looked at Congress and said, oh, wait a minute, in order to serve, I can't be, I can't be day trading anymore, then good. That person should not be in Congress. Like it's a radical idea to think of this as public service with, without, without irony, but it is. And so if that's how, not how somebody sees it, then they should just continue day trading and leave public service to people who are actually thinking about the public. I could not have said that better myself, Ryan. So now I do want to continue into questions here, and we're going to stay on the topic of lobbying just a little bit longer. Stephen Beyer, a congressman from 93 to 2011, worked for private companies and was charged for insider trading using information gained in his consulting and lobbying work. I'd love your thoughts here, Brian, on a related phenomena on the active effort currently by some senators to prevent buy-ins by employees and stock-issuing companies. An example, one in five senior federal employees beyond Congress own stock in companies regarding topics that they have say on. Now, Brian, should federal employees also have stricter rules and regulations, perhaps a new stock act? Yeah, I think that's something that's certainly... Um you know, fair, fair to discuss. Um, I, I guess, uh, is there a particular bill that you're referring to? Uh, not in particular, really, Brian. Um, just kind of okay. on that generalized question there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, I mean, I know that um, Senator Hawley has talked about, you know, the fact that any sort of uh, restrictions on stock trading should apply not just to members of Congress, but yeah, like staff who are in positions in the executive branch where they have say over over decisions that could have an impact um, on, you know, their, their stock portfolio. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's certainly something that's that's worth looking at. I think that would probably be a harder lift politically and legislatively than enacting the, a ban on members um, simply because like members are kind of an easier target. They're easier to identify. They, unlike employees, face, you know, re-election every few years. Um, but I think that's something that, you know, there's certainly some openness to that. Thank you, Brian. Noah, have you seen any efforts regarding federal employees and staff as well? Or should we really just be focused on Congress for now? I mean, one of the reasons that um, uh, we've been focused on Congress is that there actually are presently more rules uh, governing the executive branch than there are uh, governing, con you know, Congress can, uh, people can do whatever they want. Um, there are some restrictions in some cases in, in the executive branch. Um, but I, I, I also uh, agree that that there can and should be some tightening there too. That that you know it is a problem to have any government employee that includes the executive branch. It should also in, include judges. Um, you know, making decisions on issues where they have a financial interest. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a conflict of interest law. Um, there, there are criminal conflict of interest laws that can come in in extreme cases, um, but. 
you know, we, we shouldn't get anywhere near that point. We shouldn't have even the appearance of conflicts of interest. And so, um, you know, I do think that, that tightening the law all across the government makes a lot of sense and is important. Thank you, Noah. Does anybody have any other comments on what Noah just said before I move along? So one last point I want to make regarding PACs. Representative Kana, you've been kind of at the forefront of the mission to take no money from PACs. Can you explain why this is? And and are there other members following suit there? Looking at our own data, we saw 2023 had significant PAC formations and campaign donations as we headed into an election year. Well, there are two points to this. One is not taking PAC money for your own campaigns. And this is something that Obama, actually, when he ran for president, didn't take any PAC or, uh, money or lobbyist money. And we've actually gone backwards from that moment. Uh, now, I acknowledge that, you know, I come from a district that has a lot of resources in Silicon Valley. And so it's easier for me to take a pledge saying I'm not going to take PAC money and lobbyist money, but which is why we need to, in my view, democratize the access to uh, campaign finance. And uh, some, of, some of us have pushed this idea of democracy dollars, that every voter should be uh, a uh, also have a donor, be a donor up to $100 so that you can actually dwarf all the private spending. Uh, but the corrupting influence of the PAC money is you can raise about a million dollars sitting without doing anything as a member of Congress, and you're sitting on these committees, and the key interest groups will bundle up $10,000 PAC contributions from the relevant companies, and you have a breakfast that raises $100,000. It's hard to think that that's not going to, in some way, color your worldview, if just by the the mere fact that you're spending so much time with those individuals. And then to top that off, you've got big money that's coming in separate from the PACs is these independent expenditures where you've got millions and millions of dollars coming in to influence elections. I've said the Democratic Party should have a rule for our side that at least in primaries, we should have a DNC ban on uh, super PAC spending, and that that should be frowned on in any primary, whether it's congressional, Senate, presidential. Uh, we shouldn't have that kind of corrosive uh, influence and then still expect that we're going to be for the working class. The, the the last point I'd make on this is, you remember when Donald Trump was on the debates page and he basically said, look, I'll tell you how the system works. Everyone's corrupt. I used to pay off the, the politicians. I used to make these contributions. I'll tell you exactly how it works. When you have a system where people think that it's not working and it's corrupt and everyone's part of the system. It gives rise to uh, people coming I- I- into politics who may be uh, engaged in demagoguery or who may be anti-politics. And I think that if you're a progressive, if you believe, as I do, that government has a role to play and, got, and we want to do big things, you've got to clean up the system. And this has to be a much higher par- priority for the Democratic Party. And I was shocked. I mean, maybe it was because of unusual whales when you tweeted out my speech. But just these simple points, even Republicans agreed with a lot of the reform agenda. So it's actually something that could bring the country together. Yeah, and I, I think having that bar, bipartisan support obviously is really key. So it's it's nice to see support for the notion from both sides, because we all know that that's not something we can really take for granted. Uh, I want to get to a listener question here quick. Um, a listener asked us about the Senator Menendez situation, particularly how he allegedly accepted gold bars for Egypt. He's just said that he will not resign per Senator Manchin. Now, Representative Khanna, do you have any thoughts on the Menendez situation at all that you'd like to share with the listeners? And then I would also like to get the panel. panel. Well, he should resign. I mean, his own senators from that state and his own congresspeople have called on him to resign. Uh, Obviously, he's entitled to the presumption of innocence, but the facts and allegations are pretty shocking, and uh, that doesn't entitle you to be a United States senator. Uh, He'll have his day in court. But again, these are the types of things that uh, really corrode trust. I guess the only the only point I will make that gives pe- that I and then I do have to get to a hearing, so this will probably be uh, I have to to jump off, and I've enjoyed this. But you know, I I hope the people here don't get discouraged, uh, and the the reason I say that is, 
all of their your efforts have brought so much more uh, transparency to uh, the political process. And we're certainly far more transparent in terms of what were required of, of Congress today than 100 years ago, when there were, you know, when probably the Menendez type of scandal was uh, not even news. And, 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 and there's a lot more transparency now. And then this next generation, I think, is going to have zero tolerance for it. And the fact of what you're doing is making a difference. It's making a difference on the bills of stock trading and the co-sponsorships on these bills has gone up. It's making a difference in terms of uh, the impact of disclosure, and it's making a difference on on behavior of politicians, even if uh, the legislation doesn't happen. So uh, I believe what you're doing is actually incredibly important to democracy and restoring trust uh, and holding people accountable. And, and uh, I'm certainly not perfect. No one in Congress is perfect. But you either have to, in this country, be on the side of trying to change things and reform, uh, or we're going to have a further erosion of our democracy. And I appreciate what you're doing and look forward to further conversations. I appreciate all of that, Representative. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thanks. So what I want to do here is, does anybody on the panel have any comments to what the representative has just said? And then we'll move along to closing thoughts here. Yeah, I would just say that the um, the Menendez situation, it's its obviously an ongoing one. He just spoke to the Senate Democratic Caucus. And as, as you said, um, from what I've seen, reiterated that he won't resign. Uh, 30 of his colleagues have called for him to resign. I mean, that's most most of his Democratic colleagues. And so I think it'll be fascinating to watch just how he comports himself, how the caucus deals with that over the next um, however many months it is until the 2024 elections. Um, because, you know, I don't see Menendez getting reelected, but, you know, there's a chance that he will stick around um, as a senator. And I'm sure he's going to remain under tight scrutiny and, you know, perhaps end up being something of a pariah. So um, definitely a, a situation that I'll continue to, to monitor. And I think we all will. And just so people understand what he's probably thinking, and I mentioned this in my newsletter, that the prosecutors take into account whether or not you resign or whether you decide not to run for reelection when they're prosecuting public officials. In other words, it's a card that he can play. It's leverage that he has with prosecutors to try to get a better deal because his top priority at this point might be staying out of jail. Uh, rather than you know staying in office, so if he resigns now, then he can't offer to prosecutors you know to resign later as part of a plea deal. So, but but if his tenure becomes so kind of untenable and not credible, then it then there is barely a card for him uh, to play. But I think part of it is that that he is so busted that he's now thinking like, okay, how do I not? die in prison at this point. I mean, I, I, I think it's, um, it's important to remember also that I mean, as outrageous as these charges are, and they're, they're you know, even for somebody who used to be a corruption prosecutor, uh, this is really outrageous. Um, but it's important to remember that this is not the first issue that Senator Menendez has had. He's, he was previously indicted um, that for, for bribery, for corruption. That case ended in a hung jury. Um, and after that, the Senate Ethics Committee um, found, uh, and the Senate Ethics Committee is just sort of um, unfortunately kind of notorious for not doing a whole lot, but in that case, it did find uh, serious misconduct by Senator Menendez. Now it appears he's gone and, and kind of done the same thing again. And so I think it's crystal clear that he needs to resign. Um, I, I do think that, you know, one thing to note is, is, is Senator Menendez has been dogged by allegations of conspiracy for years and years and years. He's always been stubborn. He's never, um, you know, sort of backed down. Um, plus, there's that additional factor that that Ryan mentioned uh, of, of potential sort of legal self-interest. But what is different this time is that his colleagues are not sticking with him, which is which is different from the last time around. And so you heard uh, Congressman Khanna saying he should resign. Uh, the, the rest of the New Jersey delegation has come out and said that. And that may make it harder for him to uh, to stay, even if he even if he wants to. Um, and, and, and I do think that, you know, going back to also what Congressman Khanna said, um, 
an important reason for him to resign is that that you know I do think the American people it, it's really it's very very dangerous if the American people lose all faith in government and there are a lot of you know good per- public servants. Uh, out there trying to do good work. But every time there's an instance like this, it does damage people's faith in government. And, you know, for him to step aside um, would be, you know, a very small sort of first step uh, in, in, in potentially reversing that. Um, I think passing legislation on stock trading and, and stock ownership would be a, a somewhat bigger uh, preliminary step toward Perfect. Thank you all for your comments there. So what I want to do real quick here at the end is I just want to run through the whole panel and please plug anything that you might have coming out that you're working on or something that you just worked on. And I just love to hear your closing thoughts here as a whole before we wrap up. Let's start with Brian here. Yeah, I guess I would just say that, you know, this is something that (laughs) obviously there's a lot of stuff going on uh, in Congress at the moment. We've got a Biden impeachment. The first hearing uh, was today. We've got the scandal around Menendez. We've got government funding. We've got appropriations. So, you know, in the next few months, like I, I don't expect there to be a ton of new sort of developments or chatter on, on this particular issue, but, you know, going into next year when there are, you know, when the, the 2024 campaign will be ramping up. Um, folks will be again sort of running on this issue. Um, we may see more, at least, discussion of it, and you know, potentially some amount of of movement. And so that's something that I'll certainly be watching for. Um, you know, in the Senate, for example, I mean, Schumer has said that he is supportive broadly of the effort and is interested in putting something on the floor. It's just a matter of getting like 60 votes for it. And in the House, McCarthy has gestured at the issue, said he's supportive of it. Um, But as we all know, there are some very complicated (laughs) dynamics there that are um, sure to uh, complicate any effort to enact these reforms. But, you know, if someone uh, starts to make an effort, that's certainly something that I'll be I'll be covering and um, looking out for. Thank you, Brian, and thanks for coming today. Ryan, any closing thoughts here? Anything you're working Yeah, I, I, thought, I thought Congressman Connor's point about opponents of this using uh, the complexity of it to, to kill it was, was very smart, and it's something that people should keep in mind uh, and not to become kind of uh, useful idiots for the other side. So th- that, is, that is worth thinking about. Like, it's genuinely complex, but on the other hand, like just doing something is better than doing nothing because they're just going to try to drag this out forever and ever and ever and just constantly keep saying that they're going to do it, but just never do it. And since we're doing plugs, I got a book coming out in December, uh, which is sort of like a sequel. If you read, we've got people, it's a sequel to that one. Uh, It's got out on December 5th. It's called the the squad. Uh, It's about basically burning the squad since, since my last book. So that's what I would plug. Definitely be on the lookout for that, folks. Ryan's a really good writer, as is Brian, as is Noah. Uh, I mean, I just can't articulate a lot of the things on my mind the way that these folks do. So I can't thank you all enough for coming again. Noah, do you have any closing thoughts here? Anything you want to put out there that you might be working on? Uh, absolutely. So I, I do um, I, I want to pick up on um, the point that, that uh, Ryan just made, um, which is, you know, I, I think the real answer to this question of, oh, this is too complicated, we can't fix it, is that it's not complicated. Um, Some of the details are a little tricky, and there's some negotiation that has to happen on those. But the big, you know, the the, the broad principles are actually quite simple. And, you know, I think we need to keep coming back to that when there are efforts to, uh, to sort of muddy the waters. Um, As far as other work that that we're doing at Crew, um, one thing that I would uh, just highlight, you know, I think for, for folks who are particularly interested in this issue is, is that uh, at the same time that we're working with with members of Congress on um, legislation to to ban stock trading and stock ownership, uh, we're also hard at work on uh, judicial ethics. And, you know, that's something that's been getting a lot of uh, a lot of attention. You know, there are all, there's also legislation in both the Senate and the House. And one piece of that, it's not the piece that has gotten the most attention, uh, but it's a significant piece, is that 
there have been, uh, the Wall Street Journal had, had a piece last year about uh, literally hundreds of cases of federal judges deciding cases where they own stock in uh, parties who had an interest in, in the cases before them, which is you know a, a really pretty outrageous uh, kind of conflict of interest. And so this same issue happens in the judicial branch. Uh, it's got to be fixed the same way uh, that that ju- you know federal judges shouldn't ha- uh, shouldn't be owning and trading stock either. Um, so that's another thing that I would you know encourage folks who are, are interested in this issue to to take a look at. And I think there's um, there, there's a real possibility in the next few years uh, of, of reform on that side as well. Well, thank you so much, and thank you again for being here. Uh, Christian, as kind of an honorary here at the end, is there anything you wanted to tag on to what everybody said so far? Well, we can certainly talk about the congressional ETFs, Nancy and Cruz. Uh, Nancy is beating the market by about 200 basis points. Cruz is trailing by around 600, so keep your eye on those and see how we go uh, into year-end. Very different portfolios, very different views of the world. Oh, one last point. If uh, if Representative Gates wants to make up for missing this, he should make the uh, stock trading ban contingent on uh, not shutting the government down. Oh, there you go. He's not really asking for anything achievable. Like, that's that'll, what you get, right? That'll do it. I like the way you think. All right, everybody. Every single panelist we had today follows these these issues pretty closely. So if you're wanting to stay on top of that, aside from following Unusual Whales, please follow them and keep an eye on their work. Going to learn a lot, and they'll keep you up to date on you know the motions that are being pushed and any progress made on the acts. And keep your eyes on the Unusual Whales Twitter page for future panels such as this one. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Enjoy the rest of your day.